0: So as Brian said, he's been teaching on marriage, and this sermon title was "Friends and Lovers." And in doing so, he's giving you a glimpse of what our marriage looked like. And I'm so glad that I have the opportunity to share my side of the story. God has definitely, God has definitely done um, an awesome work, though. You know, it's been good. We were not always friends and lovers. I wish I could say we were, but uh, something happened. And um, the funny thing is that in the beginning, I could never imagine that could ever be possible, not friends and lovers, because we were in love. And that's all you need, right? All you need is love? No. Um, There's a lot more to it. And so I like to read Genesis 127, though. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. How beautiful then when God created or wanted to create a portrait of himself that he created marriage. I think that's beautiful. The only thing was that when I first heard that, I was like, ouch, because my marriage was the furthest thing from a reflection of who God was, who God is, a God of love and mercy. That didn't exist in my home at one time. It was more like a war zone. It was more like a war zone and you better watched where you stepped or should I say what you said because there were mines everywhere. And at any moment, one of us would have stepped on one and it would have gone off and it would have not been pretty. But God is so faithful, and he truly has given us beauty for ashes. Amen? Isaiah 61.3, beauty for ashes, an oil of joy for mourning, and a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. Because that is what was on me, heaviness. But God was glorified, and so that is why we share our story. We serve a God that can heal and restore any situation. So I don't care where you're at, where your marriage is at, God is able Brian was actually my prince charming. I like to say he was everything that I thought I needed. <laughs> he was—I was in love, and he was all I thought I needed. But there's so much more to it, right? I couldn't wait for us to get married and start our life together. We actually met on the mission field. We met on a trip to Haiti, which was awesome. I always thought that was pretty cool, super spiritual, right? We were both um, strong Christians. You know, we loved God, served God. We're going after him. I thought, this is a match made in heaven. But it was not uh, everything it was cracked up to be uh, because (laughs) I really thought he was the only thing missing from my life. I thought, now I'll I'll be complete. I'll I'll be happy. But that is like the biggest farce that Hollywood has ever sold, that a man or a woman can make you complete. God alone makes us complete. Complete. Amen. God alone can truly make us happy. Everything else and everybody else can provide a temporary fix, but only God can truly fulfill your life. We were in love, and like I said, I couldn't fathom not being friends and lovers or ever hating Him, but we got to that point. We married, so in the beginning we married, and He moved me up to Williston, Florida. I don't know how many of you guys know where that is, it's about four hours from here. Um, But he moved me away from family, from friends, and I had nobody. You know, I didn't know anybody or know anything, but I didn't care. I had the man of my dreams. I was happy, I was excited. You know, it was going to be great. But it was like I was in this dream world and as soon as we came back from our honeymoon and and settled in, it was truly back to life and back to reality because my world was not what I expected it to be like. I was living in this dream. Growing up, Cinderella was like my favorite, favorite movie. You know, I owned a copy of it. I got it as a gift from... My, my parents actually on a birthday. Um, but, you know, I thought this was going to be my Cinderella story. I had all these plans, all these expectations, but real life began, and Brian had to get back to work, get back to ministry. You know, I, on the other hand, I, I didn't have work yet. You know, I didn't have a car. I didn't have family. I didn't have friends. And so it was really difficult, you know, him moving me away, and he just couldn't understand what I was going through. And um, his mantra really was, he likes to joke around and say this, but it really was, you are my wife, goodbye city life. You know? (laughs) Yeah, right? He was like, get over it, you're here now, you're mine, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, he did not understand, and he wasn't very compassionate back then, you know. But to make matters worse, I was really shy, I was insecure, so it was hard for me to make friends, you know, and I just always thought it was harder for me than the average person being over there, uh, moving to a place where I did not know a soul, So that's where the trouble really began for us. And I didn't realize it, but at that time, it was like these seeds were being planted in my heart, you know, seeds of unforgiveness and resentment and bitterness, because you see, Brian, he was never designed to meet my every need. But that's what I wanted. That's what I expected from him, poor guy, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Here was my, you know, expectation, and here was my reality. And in the middle was all this disappointment that just kept piling on, you know? Worlds apart, worlds apart. I didn't know what was taking place, but like I said, that bitterness, that resentment, and even anger just began to take root towards Brian, towards ministry, you know, because those things begin to just flow out of your life when you least expect it, you know what I'm saying? Not just in your marriage, but when you give in to those things, it pours out in other relationships in your life, you know? He was already a youth pastor when we married. He was, a few years later, became a lead pastor. And I got really good at putting on a mask and acting like everything was okay, but deep down inside, man, I was broken. I was a mess. So on one side, you had Brian being uncaring, unloving, disconnected, and then you had me being resentful, bitter, and angry, recipe for disaster. The sad part was that I really felt justified. If he would just act right, if he would just start saying the right things, but he was not, he was not helping the situation, and guess what? I blamed him completely. I was so wrong, but I had decided that he didn't deserve my respect. He didn't deserve respect and honor. I knew what the word said. I grew up in church. But I was like, Mm-mm. Unless he changes, there's no way. There's no way. I'd say things like, this was the best. I'd be like, way to go, pastor. He loved that one. That really got actually <laughs> under his skin, you know? But because of that, that was my go-to right there because I knew it just really hit him where it, where it hurt, you know? So it was the most popular. But now listen. What I want you to understand, it's like he said, you know, through all of our struggle, I was a believer. I loved God. I read my Bible. I would pray. But you can be doing all of this, and you can still be deceived in certain areas of your life. We open doors to the enemy, and we don't even realize it, and we're going to church daily. We're praying, but, man, we got to pray like David. God, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. He didn't deserve, I thought, my respect, my kindness. I acted like a Christian everywhere else and to everybody else except in my own home with my spouse. I was mean, y'all. I was mean. I confess, I was, you know. But God is good. He's so merciful. He's so patient with us. He loves us. You know, Proverbs 14.1 says, The wise woman builds her house But the foolish tears it down with her own hands. And that was me, man. I was tearing my house down with my own hands, with my own words, with my actions. I was destroying my home. And the sad part was, like I said, I thought Brian was the culprit. It was all his fault. And I was justified by, you know, the way I was treating him. It got so bad, as he has shared, a couple weeks ago, it got so bad that I did pack my bags. I was ready to book it. I was tired of being angry. I was tired of feeling lonely. I was tired of, of of feeling hurt. I was tired. I was done. I was miserable. I was like, this is not what I signed up for. And we had two kids. We had Caleb and Hannah at the time. They were so little. But God is so good, and he is so merciful, you know. Sorry. But before I made that awful decision, which I'm so glad I didn't, I reached out to a godly woman. It's so important for us to have godly relationships in our life, you know. Be a part of a small group, find women with like beliefs and like hearts. Because I was able to reach out to a godly woman. And I can't even remember exactly what she said. But what I know is that the breath of God just breathed on me once again. And it began to soften this hardened heart. And it, her words just brought hope back to me. I thought things can change. You know, God can do a work. Hello? God is able, and I chose instead to fight. I chose to fight for my marriage. I chose to fight for my kids. Where would they be now? I have no idea. We have Elias now, he's, he's five going on six. He, he probably wouldn't have been a part of my life had I made that decision. I knew more was at stake than my right now in that moment, and I engaged the enemy the real enemy and i engaged in battle and i got on my knees it is him who had come as john 10:10 10, 10 says to steal to kill and to destroy and he was after my kids and he was after my spouse and i said no it's not going to happen not on my watch and i decided yeah. and i decided to do something different God began to show me how self-righteous I had become and hateful. I wanted God to change Brian, but God wouldn't let me focus on him. As I got into my prayer closet and really began to seek after God for my marriage, the spotlight was on me, and my depraved heart was exposed there before a merciful God. Ephesians 5.33 says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I want to read the Amplified Version. It really gives us a better picture. However, each man among you without exception is to love his wife as his very own self with behavior worthy of respect and esteem, always seeking the best for her with an attitude of love and kindness. And that was easy for me to shout at, you know, amen to, but listen to the second half. And the wife must see to it that she respects and delights in her husband, that she notices him and prefers him and treats him with loving concern, treasuring him honoring him and holding him dear. My problem was I'd lost respect for Brian because of the way he treated me, because of the things that he had done and I wasn't able to let it go. I didn't want to let it go. To his credit, some of the things he did was unknowingly because of the expectations that I had set on him. But I've learned that when that happens, wives, when he's not giving you any reason to really respect him and honor him, You respect and honor the position that God has given him. The Bible calls our husbands the prophet and priest of the home. And so I began to instead honor God. See, God will reward you for being faithful to obey his word because ultimately it was God who I was honoring when I honored him. We obey God's word. It doesn't matter what I thought, how justified I felt in my behavior. God's word doesn't change to fit our emotional state, to fit how we feel. His word is true. And he says, obey. I came to the realization that I could only work on me as much as I wanted God to work on him and I had this long laundry list. God was like, no, you gotta work on you, girl. You gotta work on you. Because it was the work of the Holy Spirit to bring change in him. He couldn't hear me at that point anyways. You know, we were just not hearing each other. But one of the keys to being friends and lovers for life, and this goes for husband and wife, is create an atmosphere that welcomes God's power God's holy spirit to work in your marriage and in your home create an atmosphere and this is a lifelong journey it doesn't end until we see Jesus face to face we haven't arrived and I'm forever growing and forever learning about how to love him God brought me to Ephesians 4:31-32 during that time let all bitterness wrath anger clamor and evil speaking Be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. If these things are in play in your life and in your home, you are not creating an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to do his work. You know what you're doing? Instead, you are inviting demonic influence into your life. You are opening doors to the enemy. And we got to close them doors. We got to say, not here, not now, no more. Amen? I had been unwilling to forgive Brian. I was full of anger and bitterness. But what I realized is that my forgiveness does not make or did not make him right. It doesn't make them right who have hurt us but it does make you free. It makes you free. Amen? I had to let go of the past so that my future could live. I had to let go of the way things had been, the hurt that I had gone through. I had to let it go. I had to release him to God and then trust God to do what only he could do. Corey Tinboon says, forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function Regardless of the temperature of the heart, we can forgive. We can forgive. We can love. The greatest understanding of love is that love is not a choice. We can love regardless of how we feel. We can love because the love of God is in us, the agape love of God dwells on the inside of us. God's kind of love is not about emotion. I would literally be cleaning something and I'd be saying, God, I am doing this onto you, gritting my teeth sometimes because at first it wasn't really easy, you know. But I started just everything time I would do something. He'd be sitting there and I'd be wanting help and I'd be like, God, I am doing this onto you. I'm doing this onto you. I'm picking up clothes off the floor. God, I'm doing this onto you. I thank you that you've got him. You've got this. You are at work, God. I would just pray under my breath believing that god was at work instead of lashing out at him which was usually you know my go-to i decided nope i'm gonna stop that and it wasn't easy but you know what all things are possible with god what you think you can't do in the natural god can do by his holy spirit through you thank you jesus for what he did. I had to find my security in God. I had to lay all my fears, all my frustrations at the feet of Jesus, at the feet of the cross. First Peter 3.1, I love this. It says, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. Wow, that is powerful right there. That they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. I was oblivious to the power that I had to redeem my marriage. I just had to obey God's word and I had to stop just hanging around the cross. I had to actually get on the cross. I had to die to self. Hmm. Winning the fight became less important, and winning his heart took precedence. I had to win his heart. I had to start building up my marriage and stop tearing it down. So I began with the help of Holy Spirit to create an atmosphere where he could work. The truth was that Brian was a good man. He was a good man. I married a good man. He was a man of God. And he loved God, but my anger and my bitterness would not let me see it. He did not know how to love me. I needed Holy Spirit to teach him. And the Holy Spirit's telling me, get out of the way. Stop doing what you're doing, you know? Brian was a man of God, and that was half the battle. And that's important for you single people out there. Marry yourself a man of God, not just a Christian because too many are out there calling themselves Christian yet bearing no fruit, no fruit in their life. You marry a man of God that has fruit in their life. Yes, my words, my attitude were terrible. I created an atmosphere that I am not very proud of. But I began to turn it around by choosing to love, by choosing to forgive There was a time when I couldn't get Brian to bring me food just to work, you know, while being pregnant. (laughs) True story. And, you know, there was a game on. There was a game on. He couldn't get to me. Uh, But you know what? Now, by the grace of God, now he makes me coffee. He offers it. Can I make you a cup of coffee? I never dreamed of that being possible back then. You know, he cooks for me. He cooks for me. He serves me. You know, only God, ladies, (laughs) only God can do that. (laughs) I wish I had me back then, you know, but I was ignorant to the damage that I was doing with just my words and, and my attitude, and I was ignorant to the power that I had to redeem that which had been lost. We create our world with our words. And I needed to get to work. Proverbs 31:26 says, speaking of a virtuous wife, when she speaks, her words are wise and she gives instruction with kindness. I forgave him and then chose to love him regardless of what I saw in the natural. Regardless of what I saw in the natural. So three steps in being friends and lovers for life. You ready? Number one. Forgive even when you don't feel like it. Forgive even when you don't feel like it. Matthew 6.15 says, But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. I was familiar with that scripture, but what's so interesting is how during my struggle, it applied to everybody else but my spouse. What I didn't realize back then is that my unforgiveness and my bitterness was holding him captive and it was warring against his ability to change. John 20:23 20, says, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. When we condemn our spouse, we come into agreement with the enemy of our soul. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren and we team up with him But when we choose to forgive, we create an opportunity, an opportunity for God and Holy Spirit to reshape them by his grace. Amen? Number two, give yourself permission to love again. Give yourself permission to love again. C.S. Lewis says, love is being vulnerable. Love is being vulnerable I had to stop withholding love from Brian, and I had to become vulnerable again. I was scared to. I had been hurt. I had to let go of my fears, and I had to embrace truth that God would take care of me. God was my security. I knew Brian wasn't going to change overnight, you know? I knew he was going to let me down again, but God would always be there. God would take care of me, especially in the beginning of our journey. I couldn't trust him, but you know what? I said, you know what, God, I can't trust him, but I trust you. I trust that you are at work, so I will open up my heart yet again because I trust you. So regardless of what I saw, I trusted God I was going to be okay. I knew that God in heaven had me. He had my heart. Many times, though, when there's emotional pain, we make these inner vows. Inner vows are very deadly to our walk with God. Vows like, he will never be able to hurt me like that again. But we build walls when we say those things, and and we become unteachable. And make it hard for the Holy Spirit to reach us. Our marriage cannot succeed with vows like that. We have to let the walls come down. These walls that we've put up to protect ourselves. And we have to trust God that he's going to take care of us. If not, it will hinder, it will hinder your ability to not only give love to your spouse, but to receive it. And it just goes right into other relationships in our life. Number three, in closing, call out the gold. Call out the gold in your spouse. When I say call out the gold, I'm talking about the treasure that God himself has placed on the inside of them. Each and every one of us has God-given treasures. And as married couples, we have the awesome opportunity To call out the gold like nobody else in our spouse. The God-given talents and abilities. They're easy to see when you're dating, right? Real easy to see. We see all the good. But once you get married, life begins to set in and all you seem to focus on is the faults, Hmm? the failures. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those that love it will eat it's fruit. We must praise the things our spouses do right. Sometimes we got to look real hard. I know I did in the beginning, but it's there, and Holy Spirit will show you. we got to be their biggest cheerleader. Jimmy Evans puts it best when he says, Women become, quote, unquote, in an atmosphere of security, but men become in an atmosphere of honor. You might have heard it said, if you find that your spouse doesn't come around the way he used to, it might be because the atmosphere is not what they need. Ladies, men will gravitate to the place where they get the most honor, and they will gravitate away from the place where they don't get honor. Equally, wives, men, wives will be drawn to a man who speaks to her in love and kindness, who builds her up, instead of tearing her down. I tell you what, praise is a critical discipline. It's a discipline. We have to discipline ourselves. It's not an emotion. Joyce Meyer says, feelings come and go, but we must deny them the right to rule. We have to be led by the Spirit of God, and He empowers us to speak life and healing over our marriages. The power to create an atmosphere where Holy Spirit can work. We can do that. We can create that.